Listening to the Civil Sentinel Podcast. Hello, hello. Yo. How y'all doing today? Doing pretty good. Just getting nice. ready to head up to Idaho for the weekend. So glad to be here. Nice. I'm doing good. I'm uh, chilling, drinking a beer, hanging out with you guys. So we're joined tonight by uh, Daniel. Um, how do you say your username? It's uh, Tanielu Idaho. Tanielu. It's a... Uh, Samoan for Daniel. Oh, right on. Very nice. Um, so I noticed uh, through your Instagram page, uh, you got a lot of radio stuff going on, and um, you're part of the ham community, and but you're also doing some tactical stuff. Uh, you and I had talked a little bit on the side, and uh, you were in the National Guard uh, as a Ford observer. Y'all trained to use some radio in that uh, regard. So we'll get into that more in a second, but tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. Okay. Uh, well, my name, like you said, is Daniel, and I uh, live in Nevada, even though my name has Idaho on there. Idaho's where I'm from, but I've been in Nevada for about 10 years, and uh, I'm down here working for a mining company and just uh, enjoying the mountains that we have around here, using radios and hunting and shooting. That's a... Uh, Pretty much the gist of it, I guess. And of course, we are joined by Tito. Tito, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. Like I said, I was uh, I'm just getting home from work. I just threw together some uh, chicken noodle soup in the Instant Pot and uh, grabbed a beer and sat down with you gentlemen. Fantastic. Did the same. Got home, uh, made some tacos for my daughter and my wife, and uh, drinking some local brews tonight. Yeah, same. I have a... Oyster City Brewing uh, Mangrove IPA. It's really good. Right on. Yeah, I was telling Tito I'm I'm drinking the tea tonight. So tea for me. Based. Nothing wrong with tea. <laughs> is, it, is it sweet tea? Uh, it's black tea with some honey in it. Oh, there you go. Kind of sweet tea. I mean, you basically make sweet tea with black tea, and then you put a sweetener in it. Yeah. Nice. Sweet tea is like the staple of the South. It sure is. Yeah, yeah. When I lived up in uh, California, we had a uh, full-time chef at the uh, ranch that we lived at, kind of a guest ranch, and uh, uh, it was all. They were all like from Oregon and Washington, and they made tea. And we, we were like, "Well, can you can you make some sweet tea?" They didn't know what sweet tea was. It was kind of funny. <laughs> That's so funny. That's pretty much me, though. I haven't spent a lot of time in the South at all. So you're our second. Idahoan. Is that how you say that? <laughs> Idahoan? Idahoan. <laughs> like the potatoes. Yeah. Good old Idaho potatoes. They're the, they're the best. Can't get any better. Other than ones you grow yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give uh I'm going to give potatoes a shot down here this summer. Um I've already got some seed potatoes that are chitted and um got them in a bucket with some soil and let them go. And, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, for the first time ever, give, uh, homegrown potatoes a shot in my backyard. We'll, we'll see how nice, that goes. Dude. Oh, right on. My fiance and I grew some, uh, kind of over the summer and they didn't turn out too well cause it was too hot, but we got some seed potatoes that, uh, we started ourselves and my fiance picked up some seed potatoes from a local store and, uh, we got to get those things in the ground cause I want more taters. Oh yeah, for sure. No, we had moved recently, so uh, this last summer we didn't have a garden. So, come springtime, we'll give it a try. There you go. So let's dive into a, a little bit of your experience. Um, so it looks like on uh, Instagram you're doing some HF stuff. Uh, you got one of those Lab Five Nine Nine radios. I've been eyeballing those myself. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, that uh, that radio was recommended to me by the guy that kind of got me into amateur radio um because he's kind of doing the same portable thing and that's the reason i got into it i wanted to be able to go hike around and set up an hf radio and talk you know long distance and that uh the lab 599 man it's it's harder to get nowadays with 
all the Ukraine war and all that going on, but it's a good radio as far as uh, my experience with it. I don't know of any uh, HF portable radio that's quite as like ruggedized as that one there. So it's, it's pretty weatherproof. What was that? I was gonna say it's pretty lightweight too, as like just like the radio itself. Yeah, it's it's a small radio. I mean, it doesn't have a tuner and it doesn't have its own uh, internal battery. So I mean, you got to factor in you're gonna add battery weight to uh, run that thing. But uh, you can have. I have a big battery that's way overkill. I could just be transmitting for like days straight. But you don't need a big battery for that radio. It takes up hardly any uh, current. So I really like it. It works for uh what I'm doing as far as like parks on the air or summits on the air. Are you doing any like uh local invis stuff? Uh, like hitting Reno. I guess you could probably hit Utah from where you are. Uh parts of Idaho. Uh you doing anything like that? Um yeah, I do. There's uh all the invis stuff for me at least has worked better if I use a dipole like wire antenna in forty and eighty meters seems the best so if it's like later in the evening nighttime i'll set up that 80 meter dipole the local ham club around here has a every other day they have an hf net on 80 meters and i can talk to people you know a couple miles away from me and then i can talk to people in neighboring states all on uh, 80 meters there so it works out pretty good usually you know, and it just kind of depends. Sometimes you can't get as far or whatnot, depending on uh, all the solar conditions and all that stuff. But no, it it, it works good for a regional though. That's awesome, man. What's uh what's the farthest contact you've made on it? The farthest one I've made, well, I got Japan, but that was using FT8. I don't know if you're familiar with all the the digital modes, but it's pretty much you hook your computer to a radio and it just sends out digital uh signals and somebody else has their computer listening and it picks it up out of the noise um as far as voice though that's more what i'm into it's more interesting to me i've talked to uh spain and germany and france a couple of those european countries there that's not real common for me that was on 20 meters really 20 meters uh how many watts uh the radio by itself is putting out 10 watts and then i usually hook up a little qrp power amp to it that gives me 30 to 40 watts and i almost always use that little amp because it really boosts the signal there so 30 40 watts if i'm lucky if conditions are good i can get to europe but the average day i can talk to nice. most of canada united states and down into mexico Oh, that's super cool. Is the the FT8 is if I recall right is more of like a weak signal like data um, digital mode, right? Yeah, it is. It's really good for that weak signal. But all it is is yeah, your computer's just exchanging, like yeah, I hear you. Here's a signal report. Thanks for talking. See you later. It's all automatic. Your computer just cycles through like an automatic. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Well conversation it has a list of transmissions it just sends and your person uh, receives it and their computer sends it back so you don't actually have control over like the messages that are sent not really you can kind of customize it but it's not good enough to really be like sending each other messages and okay. that's a couple uh there's a couple other digital modes that i need to work on because like winlink you can send email that's something yeah. I really want to do. And then JS8 call. It's kind of like FT8, but you can just write each other messages, pretty much that's, just texting each other. That's the other one I was thinking of. Okay. That's awesome, man. That could be yeah. super valuable for trying to uh, establish and upkeep like uh, kind of a regional communications. Something we're trying to work on here in Texas. We got a, uh, we got a group of guys that are kind of spread out statewide. Austin, Houston, DFW, West Texas. And uh, something we're working okay. towards is uh, trying to get everybody on general and then uh, trying to do like a once a month HF net. That's, uh, that's the goal anyway. 
Yeah, no, that's definitely a good goal to have. I mean, it's good you got a group because uh, when you guys are talking about groups or I have a couple of friends here, like we're not really a group or anything. I'm kind of just lone wolfing it by myself playing with my radio. So that's why I've been more into uh, HF than I've been into like UHF and VHF. So uh, how long have you been into uh, radio and what got you into it? Um, I've had my amateur radio license for, I guess, almost three years. I was never really into radio before that. Like, I'd have a Walmart, you know, FRS radio. I'd talk to my family or a friend while we're out hunting. The thing that got me into it is I had an officer in the National Guard that got into it for one reason or another, but he started bothering some of us to get our license. And I put him off for a couple of years. I just kept not doing it. I didn't have any inter- interest, you know. And uh, finally, I just was kind of sick of hearing about it. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go get my license. And I ended up just listening to like a study guide audio book at work. I was running equipment at the mine I work at. And I just listened to that audio book. And pretty soon I had all the questions and didn't understand most of it and just went and took my test. The more I learned or the more I started experimenting, like after I got the license is when I kind of learned a lot of it, just trying stuff out. But it became an interest after that. I don't know why, but it really hooked me as a hobby, I guess. And that's pretty much how I got into it. And I've just been trying to combine it with preparedness and hunting and just the radio hobby itself for fun. That's awesome. I love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good hobby. We we've talked about this on uh, the past two episodes, but you know Tito and I are both into ham radio, and it's definitely a hobby that I never intended to get into. But once I got into it, I kind of got hooked, and I enjoy the ham radio community. Obviously, we've talked about this before. There's things I don't like about it, but it's a great opportunity to uh, kind of get my feet wet and learn a little bit and develop some systems and get radios uh, worked out and all that good stuff. So glad to hear your, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Same thing. I don't do too much with the, like, I mean, I got my general license and I occasionally will bounce around on a couple of repeaters or maybe like the two meter or 70 centimeter, you know, like calling frequencies, but really I've just been like focusing mostly on, you know, like secure and, and rugged, like squad communications for like my local area, essentially. Yeah, that's kind of something that I'm lacking in is any sort of like secure encryption or anything like that. But uh, I really don't talk like on a a handheld VHF, UHF very much. I mean, if I do, it's mostly just for hunting or I don't get on the repeaters here very much, even though we do have a really good linked repeater system. You pretty much talk anywhere in northeastern Nevada and some of Idaho with your handheld radio, which is kind of nice. But like we're talking about, that's kind of like the ham FUD side of it. And I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I like a lot of the ham FUD stuff, but then I like a lot of the tactical stuff too. I take a little bit from both worlds, I guess. I think that's a good thing to do uh, anyway. You know, there's, I I believe there's uses in, in both fields. You know, that's why I got my ham license and I believe ham radio is a really good emergency communications standard as far as being able to communicate with people in your local area that you may not exactly know and gather information, whether that's conditions in the next town over or, you know, anything like that, relaying for assistance or help. Um, And then there's obviously, you know, the tactical side of things where your where your transmissions should be secure and controlled as much as possible yeah for sure and you can i don't know i try to take the uh ham radio hobby and kind of just put a i try to treat it a little more tactical than the normal person would just when i'm out having fun with it just try to keep it in the back of my mind you know that i could use it for some other purpose in the future yeah, absolutely. And I think you're in a unique position. You know, you're uh, so you're near Elko, Nevada. And if any anybody knows anything about Elko, it's it's pretty, pretty remote, pretty, uh, it's a pretty yeah, vast 
landscape out there. There's not much out there. There's some mountains. There's really no vegetation. You know, you're in you're in VHF territory out there. I'm sure you can do a lot more with VHF than most most of us listening could. Most people listening are going to be in a an urban area, and uh, if they're in a rural area, they're going to be in a wooded area. But you got wide open spaces out there for you. Yeah, I I have noticed that a lot of the uh, a lot of the Instagram people I follow are uh, more back east or yeah, like you're saying, heavily wooded. So you don't see a lot. As, or I guess you don't see as much stuff out in the western states here in the open areas. But uh, VHF does work really good here. Um, kind of depends, though. If I'm up on a mountaintop, I can get real far with just a handheld. Or a uh, the Yagi I got, you know, I have one of those arrow antennas. That thing's pretty sweet. I can get, you know, a VHF shot to a repeater you know 90 plus miles away wow if i got a good elevation you know but i've also gotten a repeater around the 90 mile mark too just with a signal stick on a baofeng before but i was on the top of a mountain and so was the repeater and there was nothing at all in between us you know had the snake river valley up there in idaho 90 miles with a handheld. That's uh that's incredible. Yeah, that was I had the video somewhere on Instagram there. And so tell us a little bit more about uh using the Yagi. I I saw a post you did. Um you got the Yagi out and uh looks like you're making a long shot like in between two peaks or something like that. Um were you able to obviously you're able to to receive that repeater signal. That repeater's output power is a lot more powerful in your handheld but were you able to hit the repeater at that that kind of distance i was i'm not all the time am i able to actually make a a contact that the other guys can hear but uh usually i'm able to tap into the intermountain inner tie it goes from utah up across to idaho and like over to boise and we don't have any of those repeaters that are linked in nevada but uh I like to go to kind of the northern mountains north of Elko here, and I can usually get up to some of those Idaho repeaters with that arrow antenna. And usually if I can hear the repeater and I can actually uh, key it up and it uh, picks me up, they can usually understand and hear me. And I'll try to check into a net or something if I hear something going on there. That's so crazy. That's awesome. You know, that's a, that's a good example of uh, what you can do with those Yagi antennas. I know a lot of people have seen them out there on Instagram and um, directional communications is, is a big part of uh, controlling your emissions. Uh, you know, MCON, you're, you're basically demonstrating that and, and you're demonstrating the, the limits of the capabilities. You know, you're, you're in optimal territory where you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm down in the valley, you know, there's nothing I can really get to because the terrain's pretty steep in our mountains. So if you're down in the bottom, you got a couple thousand feet of a mountain up above you. You're not going to get out with VHF or UHF very well. But that also helps if you're you're looking at a map, you know. Sometimes I'll pick the spot that I want to go camp at if I'm doing a radio-specific camp. You know, dependent on the terrain, I'm looking at the elevation on a map and seeing if I think I can get to where I want to talk from the, the place I picked to camp, so... Definitely the uh, land nav and map work helps out if you're trying to use line of sight radio. That's awesome, man. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with the National Guard. Uh, what kind of job did you have and um, and uh, what kind of radio training did you receive? Okay. The, uh, the job that I did, I did 20 years in the Idaho National Guard. I finished out the 20. And the whole time I was in, I was... A 13 Fox or what they call a fire support specialist. But like the normal term you'd hear is a forward observer. I was part of an artillery unit and we'd go out in our team and go check out areas that they wanted us to observe. And then using radios, we were able to call back and adjust uh, indirect fire artillery and mortars and whatnot. The communications part it was really important for our job, but uh, I think this is kind of the majority of units in the military. The, the comms training was pretty uh, lacking. 
I definitely regret not learning more while I was still in because uh, you have your uh, combo guys that take care of a lot of stuff with the radios. And if you have a problem or you can't figure something out, you get these guys to come look at it and try to fix it for you. Um, being out on our own quite a bit, we did just figure things out on our own because we didn't always have that support. We experimented more than most and started learning a bit more than your average National Guard guy, I guess. But I do regret not learning more while I was still in because I could have had a way better time with comms in the military if I'd known what I know now. So, yeah, yeah any sure. other questions you got about that? Yeah, so um, how exactly would uh, would your, your job play out? I guess as a Ford Observer, so you're going out and an artillery unit is going to fire a shot and then you guys are basically going to see where that shot hits and then do some mathematical equations and adjust the shot and tell them, you know, whatever, 400 meters further and 200 meters to the left or something like that, right? Um, Yeah, that's pretty spot on for uh, doing fire missions, adjusting fire and that. And that was, you know, the, I guess the lethal end game to the job is calling a fire mission on something. Um, we had different, uh, sighting systems and laser systems, you know, to where we could just laze a target. And if you had everything hooked up and working right, it just gives you, you know, like a 12 digit grid to whatever you lazed and it made it pretty easy, but we always learned the, uh, analog version. So you had a bunch of tools at your disposal to help you do the job. Yeah. Yeah. We have some good equipment that we always used, but. We always learn the analog way with a map and compass, you know, so if I just see something out there, I should be able to find out where I am. So what kind of radios were y'all using um, as forward observers uh, calling back to the artillery line? So the main radio we used was the Singar's radio. It's a S-I-N-C-G-A-R-S. And I can't remember, it's something like single channel ground and air system or something. I don't remember exactly what the acronym means, but that's kind of the uh, the uh, common radio most military people would be using, is a Singar's radio, and uh, it's line of sight, it's not HF, and we would use them out of vehicles. You can mount them in a vehicle, hook them up to a power amp in the vehicle, or you can just have it with a battery in there in a backpack and a whip antenna sticking out and use it that way. Was it VHF or UHF or was it both? It's a VHF, VHF, I believe. Any kind of ComSec tools on there? Encryption, uh, digital modes, anything like that? Yeah, yeah we would run with uh, ciphertext encryption. I don't know any details on that, but it was, you know, military style encryption and also frequency hopping on top of that. So we would have to uh, enter in a time off our GPS. So your radios are all hopping frequency at the same time. So on top of encryption, you're hopping frequencies. And I don't remember how uh, many per second or whatever, but it's constantly just skipping through frequencies to make it a little harder to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, or at least I reference on my Instagram sometimes uh, the U.S. Marine Corps Radio Operators Handbook. I forget what the feed field like manual number is, but they uh, reference the the Singars radios, which I believe is single channel uh, ground air radio system, if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, that sounds right. And they utilize the you know frequency hopping, usually some kind of a cryptography or encryption, also on board on the radios. Uh, it's really cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely cool and. Uh... I wouldn't know the first thing about trying to listen in, you know, if somebody's running ciphertext and frequency hopping there. But uh, also what's kind of funny, though, is you'll find a lot of people, a lot of units that might not be so forward will, uh, you know, you'll lose your fill if you do your batteries wrong in the radio or whatnot. But sometimes they'll have problems keeping all their comms working and they'll just drop down to a uh, single channel plain text which is like no encryption no frequency hopping and uh you could listen in with a ham radio if they're doing that so it's your normal vhf stuff if they're running single channel plain text that happens quite a lot in training here in the united states 
now if you're overseas it's a lot more strict and everything's a little better but yeah if you have a bunch of people here training in the states i would say more than 50 percent of the time they're probably running single channel plain text and you could listen in on their comms wow that's wild yeah that is pretty crazy what kind of range were you guys getting out of those radios uh, I guess I guess the better question is, what was the range between you as a forward observer and um, and and back to where you're radioing to? Um, we could be uh, kilometers away, uh, just kind of mission dependent. Um, or sometimes we were rolling pretty close to the firing unit, and it it all kind of depend to what it depends on what unit we were attached to, because we could be attached to infantry and then we'd be like a four man team on foot with them, or we might be attached to an armor unit. And then we'd be in one of those Bradley fighting vehicles. They were just given to Ukraine there. They have those set up for FOs and we'd roll in those things. If you're attached to tankers and uh, typically with the infantry, you might end up being a little further away. I mean, it just kind of depends. But sometimes we're kilometers away, and the range that we're getting with the comms, it could have been a lot better if I would have known what I was doing with antennas. But uh, I'd just say your typical like mobile VHF, UHF radio, like if you're if the terrain's good, you can get 10, 20 miles. If the terrain's not so good, you might be getting one or two miles, you know. And we spend a lot of time uh, setting up bigger antennas on the friendly side of the crest of a hill, you know, trying to talk back to our friendlies. So when you guys were doing that, were you ever setting up uh, directional antennas? Were you just doing uh, whip antennas, omni antennas? No, we had whip antennas, omni antennas on the vehicles. And then we had some pretty big, uh, it's called an OE254. I think they have a newer version, kind of the same thing, but a little newer. But it was kind of a big antenna you'd set up on a mast and have guy lines out you know and that was also omnidirectional so we actually never even used directional antennas didn't uh, really have much training on it didn't know about it very much about the extent of trying to like mask my signal at that point that i was familiar with is we just try to put up our antennas on the friendly side of a mountain you know down a little bit so it's not all skylined and then we'd be on the the enemy side of the hill with a run of coax going over the top where we could observe the enemy and then the radio antenna was back on the friendly side behind us. I think that's a really good uh that's a really good skill to highlight on. Uh and that's a good good practice for anybody that's listening that's interested in tactical comms. You definitely don't want to give your position away by throwing an antenna up in the air. Trying to <laughs> Especially uh, like up on the ridge. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Talk no, I about think you would. Uh, I think you'd ask me about the retrans stations if they set up the retrans sites, and sometimes those guys would set up, and we'd just look around on the horizon and see a couple big antennas sticking up on a ridge top, you know, to, and then we'd know where they were. <laughs> they kind of had a habit of doing that. Really? So they're easy to spot, huh? Yeah, if you put up one of those OE two five fours I was talking about, it's. If it's skylined, I mean, it's pretty obvious to anybody looking around. Do you know of any stories of uh, adversaries um, spotting those antennas? Um, I don't have any personal experiences with that. Everything I was involved in, I just went to Iraq a couple times and nothing was really, uh, we weren't really worried about hiding anything from anybody. You know, they we didn't have an enemy that was like a peer-to-peer thing going on. So it definitely would ruin your day now if you're in a modern conflict fighting one of these peer type militaries you know it's pretty easy to spot especially with thermals and whatnot those antennas heat up so that's interesting so i guess you could say uh ukraine russian war uh if they're throwing up one of those things or giving away their position oh yeah yeah i definitely try to hide it in the trees or have it on the friendly side of a ridge because you guys were talking a little about SWR, I think, on maybe your last episode, and I never never tested or checked for that, but after doing the ham radio stuff, I've looked, and yeah, the higher your SWR is, the hotter your antenna is going to show. Yeah, more more resistance, obviously, through the antenna. Yeah. So you're going to have more 
signal loss. Some of that signal loss could be the heat. Some of it's bouncing back into the radio. It's also going to cause your radio to heat up. Yeah, very true. Fascinating. No, that's right. yeah, yeah. That's that's really crazy uh, to think about. Actually, that the uh, those like retrans units are just you know throwing antennas and and masts up like right on a ridge. You know, probably like you were saying for for a couple of decades there, we were not worried about finding like uh, fighting like a peer to peer type of warfare. We were just you know we were like the clear technological uh, you know advanced. Um, you know, entity over in the Middle East, and then there there wasn't much that they could do about you know stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I never really worried about like my emissions control or anything like that. You know, until recently, till after I was out of the guard. I don't know. Probably not every unit. You know, every commo unit is the same or like that. But you know, I think in their minds, they're just trying to get comms to work care too much about anything else at the moment especially training it's hard to get people to take the training seriously sometimes so oh it definitely is do you follow the the communicator is his name on uh instagram he's got a yeah i do he's a marine comms guy and i want to get one of his shirts it's get the fucking comms up (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's got some cool merch yeah yeah that that reminds me too that the marine corps in general like a lot of those guys will come over to the National Guard for whatever reason. They get done with active duty Marines and come to the Guard, but they definitely have a better communications like training program. Those guys typically know way more than your average Army guy about comms. So I don't know why that is, but that's definitely a thing. So when you were in the Guard and you did radio training, was it like a weekend class or like a month long class or how did that work? Um, I would go to maybe a week long class. I went to a few like your normal training doesn't cover much, but I did go to like a Harris uh, HF class, but that was a long time ago. I was pretty young and I wasn't into it. It was boring to me at the time, so I didn't retain much, (laughs) but that was about a week about a week of training. I remember we went out in the field and set up some wire antennas and stuff, which I would love right now, you know, that training. But at the time, it was nerd stuff, and I wasn't paying very good attention to it, which is a bummer. Yeah, nobody wants to pay attention to the comms until it actually matters, and then usually it's too late. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I chat with some of my buddies that are still in, and I try to tell them they need to focus on comms a little bit more especially with the peer-to-peer threats we have nowadays yeah that's a good point i think if there's anything that we can uh learn about comms from the russia ukraine engagement electronic warfare is real and uh they're having major problems with it unlike the war in iraq or afghanistan you know you, you have an adversary who's very skilled and uh tooled with um the same level of equipment as you are and and, uh, it's something that should be considered. And, uh, you know, as far as the communications community on Instagram goes, uh, MCON is uh, a big topic, um, as well as all ComSec for uh, radio. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely something I need to uh, get practiced up on more. I'd really like to get a, a DMR radio and play around with that a little bit. Pretty much the only uh, radios I've been using are yezus and some icom radios in my truck nice what uh what kind of radios or do are y'all using radios when you're out hunting um so i i gifted a couple of my buddies i just gave them bow fangs you know that's kind of your disposable handout radio and uh i got them all programmed you know for these guys to use and we'll occasionally use those and uh I'm usually using my Yaesu FT70. That's kind of my my main handheld radio that I use. Then sometimes a Baofeng if I'm worried about ruining my FT70. Uh, FT70 is a digital radio, yeah? It does the uh, C4FM fusion, right? Yeah, it does. I ended up getting a, a hotspot that I set up at my house here so I could jump onto all those system fusion repeaters and whatnot because we don't have any uh, digital repeaters in this area it's all analog I'll, I'll hop on there from time to time i mean it's not a big interest for me but it's kind of entertaining once in a while 
Yeah, for sure. I had a uh, FT3DR when they first came out, and uh, I eventually sold it in a variety of DMR radios. But uh, that uh, Yesu Fusion, it's a pretty solid digital platform from what I played around on it. The audio was great. Um, it's about as good as DMR, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, I, I really like the way it sounds. I, I did notice that your radio ID is kind of uh, selected for you. Is that correct? Are you talking like when you key up and it'll send your call sign there? Yes. Yeah, you could put something else in there if you want to. I have mine where it sends out my call sign, but within the FT70, I can go into the options and change whatever it sends out to for other people to see. Oh, right on, right on. I guess then I when I set my radio up, it uh, I must have just set it up with my call sign. But I remember the first time hopping on digital on the ASU radios, uh, which is very different from DMR and from P25. It's kind of its own thing. Kind of, uh, you know, ASU yeah. only communicates with ASU on the on the digital level. Yeah, I was impressed at how user friendly they they made it. How well the propagation worked, and then you have all your reflectors. Uh, I guess DMR has reflectors too on uh, different talk groups, but uh, uh, at the repeater level, that uh, Yesu Fusion, they've got multiple reflectors that are easy to get into and all that stuff. Do you do anything like that? Um, I'll get on through my hotspot and get on some of the reflectors. One of the ones that I'm commonly on, I don't know if you've heard of Hams on the Gram, kind of a group of ham guys that are a little less fuddish than most. They're pretty good guys. I'll get on their reflector and talk with them every once in a while. And there's, they also have that uh, hooked up to DMR. I don't know anything about this digital stuff or how it works, but you can get on DMR and also talk to everybody that's using their system fusion reflector. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. That That's kind of my weak spot is the digital stuff and encryption. I just, uh, like I was saying, I don't really have a team that I train with. Nobody else that's really serious about communications. So I mostly am listening. And where I live here, there's not really any radio traffic at all, except your occasional ham guy that we all know each other. And then you get people out four-wheeling or hunting using FRS or GMRS frequencies. And I'll, I'll listen in on them. So mostly I'm listening with my my Yezu radio or Baofeng or whatever it might be. So I have a question as far as uh, ComSec and emissions control goes from the civilian perspective. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're you're out where you're like you just said. There's not a lot of radio traffic. Do you feel like staying on analog is sufficient for where you are, or um, if you were going to do anything, say that that warranted having digital encryption? Uh, would would that stand out if if somebody in your area was to hear a digital signal? Um, yeah, digital signal probably would stand out. It would to me because I'm just used to hearing analog FRS frequencies mostly, and then analog ham frequencies. You know, if I heard some strange digital signal, I would be curious what it was. I sometimes like taking that arrow antenna and just uh direction finding random signals i hear or or people that i hear talking or whatnot just to just for something to do but i i would be intrigued by a digital signal but i mean i wouldn't be understanding what somebody's saying and i do want to uh eventually get like i was saying maybe that any tone what is it 878 or something it's like that 300 dollars radio i'd like to get into that sometime and look at encryption i was gonna i was gonna ask if he's done uh, anything with sdr um i do have one of those uh is it an rtl sdr little silver thumb drive deal yeah i uh yeah i took that to work when i first got it and was looking around you know picking up some of our uh signals we had going out there where i'm working cool. but uh i haven't used it a lot i was gonna i was just gonna say like if um uh, or I, actually, I was going to ask, is any of the public safety around you, are they running digital modes like P25 or DMR or anything? Uh, they're actually analog. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Just listen to them. Yeah, they're running analog here. The uh, wow. local about, PD 
What about like Nevada State Police? The state police are using a digital, uh, I don't even understand it all, the trunking, the trunk system. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah the does. state police are uh, running digital. Okay. I was just going to say, if uh, if you if you wanted to try and get into like monitoring that kind of system, you could use uh, for a trunk system, uh, SDR trunk is a uh, digital trunking software or it's a software capable of monitoring like digital trunk systems from p25 to dmr and uh like next edge and stuff like that um if you needed some help with that i might be able to help get that set up or help you get that set up possibly yeah i might uh i might take you up on that that sounds interesting i like and then that's where i work that's what we got too is some sort of trunk system we're running a Motorola's out there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'll cool. definitely look into that though. Usually for a trunk system, you'll have to have two RTL SDRs. Ideally, you would need two of them uh for SDR trunk. I don't think you would have to have two, but it works better because you can have one uh SDR set up to just uh monitor the control channel. And then one of the the other SDR hops around to the channels that are being um, used on the network. Okay, right on. I can definitely pick up another one. I, that brings up a question I had though about that. I wasn't sure if it's all of them. I just have the one that I got to see what it was all about. But that thing heats up and uses my phone battery quick. Is that normal? Is that just how they are? Yeah, they will definitely get hot. Um, I don't think, uh, at least as far as I know, there's no software for a phone or Android phone that you can use to monitor uh, trunk systems. You can use, uh, I believe, like SDR Angel. You can get set up. I haven't, I just downloaded that and I haven't got to play with it yet, but I think SDR Angel for Android uh, is capable of like monitoring uh, digital um, like transmissions, but it won't do like trunked um, uh, systems. If you wanted to, you would need a laptop or like a a tablet of some kind running like a Windows operating system or like a Linux operating system. And you would have to use SDR trunk or another similar uh, program or software that is capable of monitoring like an actual trunk system. Okay, cool. Definitely good stuff. They definitely get hot. I can confirm that when I have like both of mine hooked up and I'm trying to like monitor a like a bunch of different channels on SDR trunk. What's cool about SDR trunk too is it doesn't even have to be like a uh, a trunk system. I could just hook up like two RTL SDRs and I can monitor like eight different frequencies, whether that's uh, DMR analog or like P25 signals in my area. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into that a little more and I'll probably be asking you questions because oh, yeah. it's definitely my weak point of comms. I'm an HF guy, but all the digital stuff, I'm pretty clueless on. I need to do some more work with it. I can definitely help you get it set up and get it running. Unfortunately, like Florida uses a, it's like a pro voice system. I don't exactly know how all that works. All I've figured out is like, there's like no way to monitor it unless you've got like one of their radios. Okay. Huh. So I don't know if Nevada's the same, but typically businesses like, uh, like in Florida, there's the Florida Power and Light F- uh, FPL, and they use a P25 Phase One trunking system throughout the state. You know, and there's different uh, like repeaters and control channels for like each of the counties and stuff. And I can monitor that, but I can't monitor like state police or like the FWC. They're, all that is like dispatched through a special like they call it like Pro Voice system. Like I, I, I need to do more research to figure out how that works, but. Um, at least from like talking around on like discord forums and stuff, I can't figure out a way to like tap into that with an SDR and listen in. So just kind of like SOL on that front. Okay. Well, it's definitely interesting stuff and something I need to improve on, learn more about. SDR is cool stuff. I'm still, uh, I'm still diving in. I'm definitely not an expert by any means, but I've, I've used it quite a bit. I, uh, Tito yeah. got that SDR angel. It's a pretty powerful yet pretty bloated SDR software. It's not for the beginner, I'd say. Is it not? Say, okay. okay. I haven't used it yet. It's, um, I, I think the, the best place to start is to get familiar with SDR Angel on a Windows machine and and then start playing with it on Android. Um, okay. And there, I know there's a few pages out there that have referenced SDR Angel. I had it open 
the other day on my Android and I didn't have my my STR hooked up or anything. I just like had it open and I was like on my like Android phone and I was like, I'm going to need a stylus for this. Everything is very like small. <laughs> You're not going to be able to like accurately navigate the application with like your finger. At least I was already having trouble, which is a very similar problem I had with running uh, SDR plus plus on just like a, a normal like sized Android phone. Um, it would work better on something with a much larger screen, like maybe like a seven inch tablet, you know, like a tablet, like a seven inch screen or so, because like all of the menu options are, are very small. You can't like zoom in on anything. Um, all you can do is like actually zoom in on like the whole window and then you lose, you know, a whole bunch of stuff just to like nothingness off the edges of the screen. Um, so like when it comes to a lot of those, those like softwares or programs or apps on like what I've, in my experience, like Android phones, one of the best ones on Android is the uh, is RF analyzer, I believe, which is super basic and it just does analog signals. But you can monitor, you know, it, you don't exactly have to be able to listen in on the signal. You could still, you know, see it on the spectrum and on the waterfall and analyze its signal strength and all of that kind of stuff. Um, from the entire operating range of your RTL SDR, as long as you have the appropriate antenna hooked up. Yeah, I think that's the uh, only app I've ever used with the SDR, that RF analyzer. Yeah, and it's good for what it is. Yeah, I'll use it here right at work if I get slow. I'll uh, take the SDR with me and sit in the job trailer and plug it in and just kind of like scroll through, see what's going on out there. Usually there's a bunch of stuff on GMRS and occasionally you get the FRS, but and you know of course you know you'll find the frequencies and then every once in a while and you you can you can pick out the uh the ham radio repeaters. They're pretty easy to figure out, but every once in a while you'll get some simplex communications going on it's like oh this is interesting i'm gonna stop here and pay attention yeah. for a little bit see what's going on yeah exactly yeah if i ever hear anything you know on on the bands that's not a repeater it's surprising out here you know so that's kind of like what you're asking though when we went into the sdrs and everything i i do kind of feel like i'm okay with analog you know vhf uhf comms here where i live for myself i'd like to get some friends more into comms and get something you know a little more secure but right now i really don't have anybody i'm communicating with so i don't feel the need right now if that makes sense yeah and uh sense. yeah pretty much the people i talk to are that guy i'll just call him the colonel the one that got me into the ham radio to begin with i chat with him sometimes on hf um i don't know if you know uh backcountry amateur radio on instagram i talk to him sometimes he's over at utah nice yeah he's a cool dude he he got me into a couple different antennas and whatnot he really helped me out when i was getting into it and then uh wyoming survival i've chatted with on hf awesome. he's a cool dude too so yeah both those guys are yeah really there's a few cool. people i like chatting with sorry go ahead I was gonna say no. Both both those pages are really cool. Backcountry and uh, and Wyoming Survival, uh, two great pages to follow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would love to uh, get Wyoming Survival on here in the future. He's doing a lot of stuff, and he, in fact, he teaches uh, comms classes up where he's at, which is uh, yeah, he does. Anybody? Yeah, he he does, and I keep I keep looking into that. Getting tempted to go to one. Be a good networking opportunity. Be fun. Anything else? Yeah, and I'm sure you've got stuff I could learn. So just kind of hearing a little bit about where you're at and what you're doing and what's going on as far as radio where you are. I think it's safe to say in a shit hits the fan situation, you're probably exactly where all of us want to be. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I feel pretty secure in my in my area here. I kind of just. I favor that HF, you know, because I'd like to be able to hear what's going on in other parts of the country. And if there's anything crazy going on here, I'd like to tell my buddies that aren't here about it, you know. So if you're listening and you get curious, don't go move to Elko, Nevada. Stay away. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I've had yeah. a similar, um, kind of a, a similar but different uh, kind of uh, conundrum going on. Whereas, like, I've been really into, like, the squad, you know, secure communications and uh, I, I upgraded to my general license at the like probably halfway through last year or something like that to uh, get into doing like a man portable or like field expedient kind of like HF um, operations. But I, I don't have anyone that I would do it with unless I'm going to try and make like long shots to like you 
or uh, or a couple other people I've chatted with on Instagram. But um, that's kind of why I've just been really focused on the on the local secure kind of squad, you know, comms. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that that targeted contact. I think it's uh, the tech prepper on Instagram. He's always going off about that. It It is more of a challenge because there's been multiple times where I've tried to talk to a specific person and the propagation wasn't working. The conditions weren't good that day, you know, and uh, especially for me down to Florida. I do talk to Florida sometimes, but that's a good one for me. It's got to be kind of a good day. Well, I'm going to definitely get an HF rig eventually, hopefully this year sometime. The rig I was looking at getting has now been discontinued. I was going to do a, a build a lot like the tech prepper. I was going to do an FT818 with the Digi rig and everything like that. But now that they've been discontinued, they've like doubled or tripled in price. So kind of weighing some options to see which way I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the HF portable radios are just spendy in general. You yeah. know, if you want to get a decent one, it, it costs a lot. So, I mean, what that lab 599 is like, is that two or 3000? Um, I think it's sitting just over a thousand now. I think I got mine for around 900 bucks, but really it wasn't I was shopping. Like brand new when I got it and it wasn't okay. Ukraine wartime either. So I, I, I was shopping around. And got it. Yeah, I was shopping around like a month or two ago. I was trying to look up the Lab 599s, and like, they're uh, at least like the one I found going on eBay was like nineteen hundred dollars. Yeah, I think it's hard to get them. I don't know if they're importing more here. I am part of some groups where I see people buying and selling them, you know, used, and it's crazy prices. So. I know it's a modular radio. There's a uh, Lab 599 amplifier that's kind of like the same footprint as the, the 599 radio itself. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not sure how many amps that amplifier cranks out, but uh, are, are you is that kind of the same type of amp you're using or are you using like a different kind of amp? I, I'm using a different one. I think that one that is made for the Lab 599, I want to say it puts out 50 watts, but I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that. And then uh, I bought a little cheap uh, Chinese amp. It was like 125 bucks. And uh, I don't have anything to measure the output of my HF radio. So just from what I've been reading and other videos I watched, I'm guessing it's putting out 30 to 40 watts for me. That's still pretty good. It's a, it's a definitely an upgrade from 10 watt output. Yeah, it, it definitely helped when I was doing the... Uh, summits on the air you climb up to a mountaintop and see who you can call it's like a point thing you're trying to get points but anyways when i was doing it without the amp you know people were having a hard time hearing me i wasn't getting you know the whole country every time but once i started using that power amp people can usually hear me fine they're usually surprised when i tell them what i'm using and i can usually get all of canada the u.s and mexico man that's so. crazy that's pretty much what I've been doing. Uh, is that your first HF rig or have you used anything else? No, that's my uh, one and only HF rig. That's the one that uh, I was recommended for, you know, I was telling you that guy that got me into it, what he was wanting to do and what I was wanting to do. And yeah, I, I don't know of any other one, like I was saying, that is as rugged as that. Like I, it can get rained on. That's kind of a pretty bad thing for most of the portable radios. You don't want them to get rained on. Yeah, I'll exactly. leave that thing just out in my teepee. I'll go to sleep. The fire goes out. I wake up in the morning and it's all covered in frost and everything. I'll just turn it on and it works fine. So. Oh, yeah. If I could find a Lab 599 for $900, I'd, I'd hop on it. <laughs> oh, me too, man. I would, I would, I'd buy one for $1,200 if I could find one available. Yeah. I, I just lucked out that guy who recommended it to me. He didn't have one yet. He just told me that's the radio I should get for what I want to do. I didn't really know. He was like, this so is my like, dream okay. radio. This is what you should get. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he, he ended up getting one too, but I ended up getting it first, which is kind of funny, but he has a couple other radios he'd been using already. So what are you doing for, uh, antenna tuner um i don't have a tuner at all i'm a fan of uh resonant antennas nice so my main one is a half wave n-fed antenna and it has a 49 to 1 uh transformer like i wound the toroid and it's like a little kit that i ordered and you put it together yourself but 
right without a tuner i can get i can get about a one-to-one uh swr that's through, great uh 10 15 20 and 40 meters really so that so thing like multi-band yeah it's because you got that uh transformer that toroid that i wound there I, I don't know all the specifics. It's been a while since I looked into it, but that's what makes that antenna able to be multi-band with one length of wire. I was about to say, so I, I took my general test back in, let's see, late November, uh, right after Thanksgiving, and I passed. Uh, I passed. It was my third time taking the test, and um, and I passed by one, yeah. one, one question I passed. And uh, Oh, my gosh. I know. You ape. I know. Okay. But, uh, I remember. I remember uh, reading about toroids and and all that stuff. But to be honest with you, I have no idea what it does. I just memorized the questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I followed a diagram and wound this magnet wire around it, and all I know is it helps match the impedance for the different uh, frequencies. So. So do you, I didn't get real technical into it. Do you have an SD? Uh, sorry, SWR meter you use to. Verify. Uh... Um, I have that a little cheap one that I use for VHF, UHF, and then the Lab 599 has one built in. So you can see what your SWR is when okay. you transmit. And then it has a, a safe deal where it cuts down the power. If your SWR is going too high, you know, it'll, it'll cut the power off so it doesn't damage itself. Really? So it's got like a built-in kill switch or something like that? Yeah, just the higher your SWR goes, the lower your output is. And if it gets too high, it just won't be transmitting anything. So I use that. It shows me what the SWR is. And I'll just, you know, see how long I need an antenna to be according to an equation on the Google machine. I'll just look it up and trim the antenna, set it up and transmit and see what the SWR is. And I'll drop it back down and trim a little off if I need. And I'll, I'll just tune it till I get about as close as I can to one-to-one. So when you say trim it, you're doubling the antenna back and uh, shortening the length of it, right? Yeah. With that N-fed half wave I use, you know, I'm just cutting off the one end, making it shorter because I always cut it a little longer than I need to start with, you know? And, uh, then I make some dipoles. I like to use a 40 meter dipole for Envis, but uh, yeah, I'll just drop both ends and bring them together so I get them, you know, the exact same length and trim a little off and hoist the ends back up and give it a try again. Very cool. That's something I'm really excited to get into. I Since I've passed my general, I haven't been on HF. I got a good buddy in town who's got an HF rig and he's got a big horizontal dipole strung up across his house or above his house rather. And I'm, I'm excited yeah. to get into HF. But I'd <laughs> shell out the money and get one. Yeah, the antenna game is what I've found is kind of your most important deal. Like you can just have a cheap basic antenna, just some extra speaker wire. But if you take the time to tune it and make a resonant antenna, you'll be uh, doing good. You lose a lot, you know, when you're using a tuner, trying to just force your radio to work with an antenna that's not resonant. Yeah, I know uh, Tech Prepper, he talks about that a lot. He likes to uh, tune his antennas and make them resonant, and uh, he, he's, he advocates for that instead of using a, a tuner. But it seems like... Yeah, I think if you're using like a, a base station, if you're using 100 watts or more, you know, you're not worried about the low power thing, a tuner is just fine, probably. But if you're doing the QRP thing, the low power game, uh, you need all that, all your watts to be going out of your antenna. You don't want to lose any in the process. Yeah, you don't want to sacrifice any. Man, we should try to uh, make contact once I get an HF rig and get set up out here. Fun to do. I'm down for sure. I was I was going to post up something saying I was going to do winter field day. It's a Saturday and Sunday this weekend. I'll be up at a yurt. We're going to snowshoe in there and see if there's any people that want to make a like a targeted direct contact, you know. Very cool. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, once I yeah. get an, once I get an HF rig, I will definitely have to try. It definitely sounds cool doing like a that that'd be a whole cross nation targeted contact. That'd be pretty sweet if we could actually make it happen. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a doable thing. Like I I talked down to Florida, you know, once in a while. It's not as common as the Midwest or for some reason Canada. I get Canada real good from here a lot, but but yeah, we can definitely make contact at some point. Conditions are good. That's awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think uh, I think making contact with Canada, uh, the factors there: a, you're closer, and b, that's the so you're gonna get 
better propagation out of it uh, rather than closer to the equator. Yeah. No, it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I get a uh, New Mexico and Arizona. That seems to be a common kind of pipeline that I just get my signal down that way pretty good a lot. So it's nice. weird. It's all an experiment. I was, uh, I was curious. Um, we were talking about the, the Russia Ukraine thing. We've been talking a lot about uh, HF. Um, and I was curious, uh, back when like Russia, Ukraine, like started kicking off, I saw a lot of people like posting, even hams posting about, they were like, basically like listening into like Russian HF, uh, traffic <laughs> that was happening. I was, I was wondering if you'd happen to, uh, try that or, or hear anything like that. No, I, I definitely did. I was oh, really? watching the war on Instagram and uh somebody had posted it was just a post of blown up russian vehicles and they were getting some stuff out of there but they posted a picture of a soi or their signals you know had all their frequencies and what they're using and i was like hey that's within the ham bands here in the states so i was up in the mountains camping got my hf radio set up in my teepee there and i started tuning through those frequencies from that picture and sure enough i started hearing faint you know it was faint static a lot of static but i could hear guys talking in russian yelling back and forth sometimes (laughs) <laughs> and it was pretty crazy that's funny wow so. yeah that that is crazy that'd be that, imagine you know doing that that's also crazy that they're using frequencies within like the ham band of the united states yeah we we kind of share some of the bands with the u.s military here so yeah yeah exactly I think it's that 60 meters you know you got that channelized band where we can you just use like certain tiny little slivers yeah, but the rest of that band is uh mostly military. Is uh for for at least the lab, uh the lab five nine nine, is it pretty much like locked into the ham frequencies, or is there like a Mars mod where you can uh, open it up to like the full spectrum? Um, I've heard there's a Mars mod. I don't know how it works if it's a a firmware deal, but I the only things I've heard about it is you have to send it in to get it mars modded but, okay uh, it, it won't let me transmit out of the hand ham bands i can listen to everything okay so you can try monitor. to key up yeah yeah i can okay. monitor like everything but if i key up out of the ham band nothing happens okay but their uh u.s service department's actually over in reno so it's kind of convenient if i need something that is convenient any uh any Area 51 traffic out your way? No, I haven't heard anything too crazy. I'm kind of far, far from that area. We go down that way once in a while. It's kind of fun, but no, there's a lot of a lot of no traffic out my way. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, south of Reno, I forget the lake. There's that big lake between Vegas and Reno. Pyramid? Pyramid Lake? Uh, Pyramid Lake's up north, I think. Yeah, it's kind of closer to... The Navy has that uh, ammo depot, and uh, when you drive past it... Oh, yeah, yeah. You see all those uh, all those mounds? You, just as far as the eye can see, it's all like buried munitions storage bunkers. Yeah, they have some old uh, mock-ups of Russian vehicles just out in the desert in that area, from like an old bombing range. There's a lot of that out there. It's crazy to see that. I remember the first time I drove through uh, through that area, uh, kind of out near uh, Goldfield and Tonopah, uh, going north. Yeah, you, you see all those munitions depots, and it's like the only thing that's out there. But you'd think, since it's a munitions depot, there's got to be some kind of radio traffic out there that they're using to communicate. There's got to be some kind of maintenance, and no, I'm sure there's some radio, some RF going on out there it's a little far from me so i'm actually closer to like twin falls idaho kind of the closest town besides elko you ever hear any of the uh burning man traffic when burning man's going on no we we always see them coming back from burning man on i-80 you can see their dusty vehicles they got a big pirate radio community out there so funny story i got conned into going to burning man in 2015 Right uh, buddy of mine, well, I was I was out in California, and he's like, "Hey, man, I got these tickets to this uh, music festival. You want to go?" I was like, "What is it?" He's like, "It's called Burning Man." He's like, "You're you're gonna have fun. Let's let's just go." I had no idea what it was, so we went out there, and I showed up, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is the most 
crazy event I have ever seen in my life. One of the things we noticed while we were out there, somebody set up a pirate radio station at Burning Man, and they were broadcasting on the FM channels, and they had like constant radio traffic playing music and DJs and talk shows during the day. And if you were in range, you could pick it up. It had to be low power or something like that, but full on private. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. You know, pirate radio station. Super cool. Yeah. Fun to do like something like that here, but I'm sure the, uh, for the FCC would come pay me a visit. <laughs> yeah. No, that that always kind of sounds like it would be fun. Go set something up in the mountains and do your own talk show for a while. It would be fun. Be a good time. Well, hey man, yeah. Daniel, appreciate you joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure kind of hearing uh, a little bit about HF. Uh, I know that's a big uh, topic in the ham radio community and in the tactical community. It's a great way to uh, uh, you know establish regional communications and uh, do something a little bit more beyond line of sight so thank you for sharing with us uh what you've been doing there and it's also super informative to hear kind of you know your national guard experience and some of the things that you got to do with that uh, so thank you for sharing with us yeah no problem thanks for uh, having me appreciate it yeah absolutely and, uh, yeah so uh tell the listeners out there where can they find you um i'm on instagram and it's at tanielu idaho it's t-a-n-i-e-l-u tanielu Idaho. And that's my only social media. I kicked the Facebook habit years ago. So nice. Very good. And then if you if you really want to get a hold of me, send me a, a DM or something and we'll talk on HF. That's what I always tell my friends that I won't talk to them unless it's on HF. I'm trying <laughs> to get them to get their licenses. But <laughs> hell yeah. Uh all right. I do it. Cool. Well, thanks again, guys. Appreciate right it. On. And uh, I'll definitely stay in touch got some more questions about digital radios and encryption and everything so well we're definitely going to oh, get yeah. into that we're going to have some more folks on talking about dmr uh so be on the lookout for that awesome and then um we're going to start hitting the, the the digital conversations here pretty hard and talk about a lot more that you can do with digital so uh we got some fun conversations coming up uh very informative very interesting awesome definitely enjoy the show so yeah you guys are doing good right on man i appreciate it well gentlemen okay. well uh yeah i'll talk to you again all right guys right on have a good okay, night bye. adios later <laughs>